0: to the Planet Today with Matt Norton. Today is Friday, June 18th, 2021. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here once again with our producer, Nick Chanusa. Nick, how are you doing today?
1: Maddie, I am ready to go, baby. I just watched uh, one of the most beautiful sunsets possibly of my entire life. So I'm just reeling right now, Maddie. I'm ready to get after it. I love how you just bring in the energy every week. It really, it really gets me going at the start of recording. <laughs> Come on, you got to do it. I'm fired up about renewable energy. I'm fired up about climate change. Let's get after it.
0: Let's do it. If you're new here, welcome to the planet today. Here on TPT, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy, all in an easily digestible weekly podcast for you to listen to on your own time. This show will be your one stop shop for all things environmental, whether you're just diving into a green lifestyle or you're ready for some more involved conversations about what can be some complex topics. TPT will have something for everyone, so we're happy to have you as a listener. Today on TPT, we will be running my interview with Giselle Herrera, but first, we're going to kick the show off with our quick hits, as always.
1: All right, so this first one actually follows up on uh, your discussion last week with CJ, and it is Tuesday's episode of Yale Climate Connections, and it was called How to Cut the Internet's Big Carbon Footprint.
0: Yeah, crazy timing, right? I mean, a few days after we talk about it, Dr. Anthony Elizowitz, clearly a listener of our show, was like, (laughs) we're going to talk about some tech. So uh, the big takeaway here was that the COVID-19 pandemic caused carbon emissions to decrease in the transportation sector, which makes sense because people were traveling less, both for work and for vacations in 2020. So with people working from home, internet-based emissions were rising, the podcast, which we talked about, and the article for it is linked in the episode's show notes, so they spoke about how people were using video chatting services more often and that was making them use the internet at a much higher rate than you know just browsing the web. So with those services, you can reduce your internet usage by turning off your video and your microphone when you're not speaking so that your video chat app isn't firing on all cylinders the whole time. And this actually reminds me of something I learned in grad school about giving presentations with PowerPoint. You should use dark backgrounds because they use less energy than a white PowerPoint with black text because of the way that the pixels are working.
1: Internet-based emissions is definitely something I've never even considered before.
0: Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And I mean, I always liked using dark mode on my phone, my laptop, and really any app that I can because it looks cool and it makes me feel like an elitist. Uh, dark mode gang stand up. (laughs) But um, I I guess I could also say I was doing it for energy reasons, even if I didn't know that at the time.
1: Yeah. And also the white PowerPoint with the black text is probably the most boring color combination in all of PowerPoint. You got to wake the people up with some color. Yeah. Make it look good. Yeah. Give it some flavor. Throw some rosemary on it. All right. So this next one is from Roger Harabin of the BBC, and he reported G7 Summit, leaders pledge climate action, but disappoint activists.
0: Yeah. So the G7 announced that it's going to end the funding of new coal generation in developing countries and offer up to about $2.8 billion to stop using coal as a fuel. So... I know we've mentioned this in the past couple episodes, but really important to hammer home the point that coal produces the most carbon emissions of any fuel source, and ending its use is seen as a major step by environmentalists, of which I consider myself one. On the other hand, environmentalists also want guarantees that the rich developed countries will deliver on previous promises to help poorer nations cope with climate change, which is something that the G7 has failed to do in the past. So rich countries haven't really delivered on their climate finance pledges. The majority of them have been provided as loans, and that kind of pushes vulnerable countries further into debt by making them borrow money and eventually pay it back, while we're just kind of reaping the benefits of already transitioning to renewables.
1: Yeah, and that's definitely a fair concern because you can't give more than you're worth. You know, like that's not a... If you're given a Toys for Tots at Christmas, you gotta make sure you have the money. You can't just be throwing money at Toys for Tots, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I truly hope that we can phase out coal as soon as possible. Um, Another
0: thing that we've talked about in the past couple episodes is equity. And for this, equity looks like getting those developing countries caught up with renewables so that they can phase out coal without stopping their own
1: development. Yeah, definitely. All right, so let's get into the next one. So this next one is from Bloomberg Green, and it was written by Josh Saul and Brian Eckhouse. And the title of the article is Texas Renewables Defy GOP Backlash with 20 Billion in Projects.
0: Yeah, so Texas is on pace to have as much green power development in the coming years as the next three states combined, which is according to the American Clean Power Association, a Washington-based trade group. The building boom demonstrates the appeal that wind and solar continue to have for investors as the green transition accelerates, with companies under increasing pressure from shareholders and environmental groups to tackle climate change. So again, it's not just this environmental green movement, there's also a lot of financial benefits to transitioning to green energy. So this would bode well for President Joe Biden's push to eliminate power sector emissions since Texas produces more electricity than any other state.
1: Yeah, this was definitely a headline I was not expecting to read. I had to do like a little double take. I was like, whoa, Texas? G- green?
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting, man. I I, I just like... I don't think of Texas when I think of states that are actively working to fight climate change, but you do think of Texas when you think of fiscal responsibility or whatever, whatever you want to call it. And in this case, they're going to be saving money by transitioning to renewables. So I don't know how many times we have to say it, but I'll keep saying it and shouting it from the mountaintops. Renewables are a win-win. The environmentalists <laughs> win and you're saving money. So let's just make it happen.
1: Yeah, it's a no-brainer. Let's get it going, guys. Um, Okay, so let's go ahead and get into the last quick hit of the week. This one's from the Environmental Investigation Agency, and they announced their global environmental crime tracker is live. Yeah, so this is going to be the first central public database that
0: provides analysis and interactive dashboards on arrests and conviction rates. There is a pretty cool video that we're going to link in the show notes, but the staff at the EIA will be collecting and combining data related to all seizures, arrests, and prosecution records to help build a picture of the current scale of environmental crime and abuse. So currently, they've concentrated their efforts on elephants, pangolins, rhinos, tigers, leopards, all in their Asian range, and then snow leopards, clouded leopards, and the totoaba fish, as well as timber.
1: Yeah, hopefully this can allow countries to more easily police environmental crime or even just like spread awareness. I think it'd be great.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's cool too because um, I'm a huge data nerd. I just I love data and data visualization. Uh, for me, that's not staring at spreadsheets and looking at numbers because I can't really picture it that way. So I'm hoping to see some kind of data visualization of where environmental harm is taking place and if possible, where that harm is originating from, because that's where you're going to get the solutions from. You can't just put a bandaid on an issue and say, you know, there's a lot of elephants being poached in Tanzania without saying, well, where are the poachers coming from? Right. So I hope that they can somehow find a way to say all of this environmental harm is also coming from somewhere and, and figuring that out would be a huge, huge step. Definitely.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. All right. So that does it for this week's quick hits. We're going to go ahead and take a break. And when we get back, we will run Matt's interview with Giselle.
0: Yeah. And just a heads up to our listeners, we recorded this interview over Zoom and my old apartment definitely carried sound a lot more than my new one. So the audio might be a little different than what you're used to hearing, but it's a really fun interview. I hope you like it. And the sound quality is still good. Dude, so I went to a wedding last weekend, and I have another one this
1: upcoming weekend. I don't know about you, I am a big crier at weddings. Oh, absolutely, Maddie. If you don't get at least a little teary-eyed during the ceremony, you better make sure that you're still breathing. Dude, here comes the bride, starts playing, tears
0: streaming down my face. (laughs) But luckily, I had a nice handkerchief to cry into last weekend because of the presenting sponsor of today's episode of TPT, Vala Alta. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.com and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A A.com and code TPT. And Maddie, have you seen the new colors that dropped the other day? Whoo! Sheesh!
1: <laughs> they have a bunch of really cool ones that dropped. I might get the Panoma, I think it's called. Oh, yeah. Pomona or uh, Olympia. Those are my two. Go get them, guys. valaalta.com.
0: Joining us today on TPT is the wonderful Giselle Herrera. I met Giselle in 2015 when we were both summer interns with the Wildlife Conservation Society at the Bronx Zoo and we became fast friends. She's one of the smartest, kindest people I know and I've been proud to call her a friend and a colleague for the past six years. After her internship ended, Giselle worked in the Bronx Zoo's education department before leaving to get her master's degree in ecology and evolutionary biology in 2020. She now works as the program manager at the Rockaway Initiative for Sustainability and Equity, otherwise known as RISE. Giselle Herrera, welcome to the planet today.
2: Thanks, Matt. I'm so happy to be here. I'm super, super excited. to Uh,
0: Happy to have you. you
2: Yeah, shoot you know, shoot the chat, shoot. Yeah. The, I don't know if we can.
0: <laughs> I don't curse, know either. We'll, 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 bleep that we'll out. We'll figure it
2: out. Right. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah. Um, you know, when we're recording this, it's, um, Tuesday evening and, um, just got finished working with some of the students, um, in the afterschool program that I'm at with rise and, um, you know, talking about horseshoe crabs, talking about Jamaica Bay, you know, nice. NYC. and, um, yeah, it's been great. We also got to like hear from a researcher. We'll talk more about that later, but sure. um, it's um, it's been really good. Yeah. And yeah, just happy to be chatting with you and, you know, talking more about this like amazingly exciting podcast that you have started. So yeah.
0: Well, not not to one-up you, but on the way to record this, I actually hit my step goal for the day according to my watch. So very <laughs> comparable Tuesdays for us.
2: Yes, that that is... A huge accomplishment. Oh, my God. But I've heard so much about the podcast from you and, like, just hearing you talk about it and, like, get so excited about it is, like, giving me energy that I've needed for, like, pandemic work life that has been lacking. So I'm just, yeah, and, like, reminiscing, too, and, like, catching up with friends is always so wonderful and needed, especially now. So I'm, I'm super psyched.
0: Yeah, and I I figured, you know, for my first interview on the podcast, I thought it would be great to have one of my best friends in the industry who's actually out there in the field doing some really awesome stuff. Come on Mm -hmm. and talk about the awesome stuff that you're doing. Yeah. So with that, I guess we'll just jump right into it. Jump right into it. Um, So what first got you interested in pursuing conservation as a career?
2: Yeah, so um, funny story. So originally I grew up in South Florida and like... Being in South Florida, like it's such a, like in the tropics, basically, it's such a biodiverse area, right? Like you have your, so many different types of birds, reptiles, mammals, and, um, you know, that always interested me. I had like the zoo books. My grandma got me zoo books when I was younger for Christmas that I like devoured in a week. And um, I was always interested in it, but I never really thought about actually pursuing a career with conservation and, and like wildlife. I didn't really take that seriously until like junior year of high school. Like I wanted to be a therapist um, before then, which like all power to therapists, but that's, that's a tough job. I couldn't do it. I would rather be with the animals. So yeah, it was um, high school where I was like, okay, I love environmental science. I love biology. Let's, let's go to school for that. And I went to Florida State University up in Tallahassee, another really beautiful part of Florida, very different from South Florida. And I got some really great classes. I got to take like ornithology and conservation biology with like wonderful professors that really cared about the field, which was so, you know, inspiring. And that's what really kicked it into gear. And I got to take part in a lot of great opportunities while I was there, like really make the most out of college and like do all these great extracurriculars and, um, you know, opportunities outside of classes. So I was, I was very, very lucky to have gotten on the path I did and I've, I've, I've been on it ever since, you know, it's been, it's been really, really great, you know, taking each experience, each step further into what I want to do with, with conservation and working with, with people and, and animals really. So, um, so long story short, <laughs> what got me interested was, um, yeah, that transition from high school to college and, like, actually making the the idea, making it a reality. So, that's, that's yeah.
0: Was it any sort of specific thing that made it click for you or did it all just kind of progress forward?
2: Yeah, I think it was, like, it was very, like, um, it was, like, step by step. Yeah, I think because, like, I grew up, like, a lot of, like, you probably watched Steve Irwin. Yeah. like Right, like, Animal Planet before going to school. Like, I was like, wow, that is that's the dream right there. Like to teach people about wildlife that they would never see normally and like show them why they're so cool and why they should be protected. Right. Like everything we want, um, out of conservation. So like, it was always in the back of my brain, but then I was like, Hmm, am I a Steve Irwin? <laughs> am I uh, like, am I gonna get to that point? And I was like, you know what? Forget it. Like, we need more people doing this type of work. So I, I kind of changed my thinking from like, okay, like let's actually see how I can get to this point and and make it happen. So, um, and yeah, because I was passionate about it, I I did make it happen, and it took a long time. That's yeah, kind of to your point where it was like, it was step by step. It was over time. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny to- you mentioned the the original goals and how they kind of evolved. I mean, growing up, I wanted to work for national geographic and I wanted to be a wildlife Mm -hmm. photographer who traveled the world and took awesome pictures of endangered species. And then went home and did all this writing about why it's important to protect them, how we can do it, the challenges they're facing. And Mm -hmm. I obviously am not doing that. um, Unfortunately, (laughs) I think that this is almost an avenue for me to kind of do what I can do. That's in that same field. I'm not out taking the pictures, but I'm still going to be, Connecting with people who might not otherwise connect with these really important topics. So, totally, yeah, it's similar to you. It's kind of just an evolution of this goal that I've always kind of loved working with animals and then wanted to make a positive difference for them. So, right,
2: right. It's like the way you get to it is different, but the goal is the same, right? So, it's like it's that's the common thread. It's like we need more people to do that. Right. Exactly. Like if we want to see that change, it doesn't matter how it's done. It's the fact that it's getting done. Right. So yeah, that's, and this is the perfect way to do it, honestly. So like chatting. It's a start. (laughs) Yeah, it's a, exactly. For sure. sure.
0: So um, your first internship was with the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission's Black Bear Management (laughs) Program what can you tell me about black bear management? Yeah. That sounds awesome to me. It's you know, I love bears. There was yes. a time at the, at the zoo when we were interning where I got to go yeah. into the exhibit and set it up for the day. Oh my God. You know, I
2: still will never like, oh, I was so jealous. Honestly. Let's,
0: <laughs> let's, so let's peel back the curtain a bit. Yeah. So, so <laughs> for the listeners who don't know the story, um, Giselle and I, at the same time, were working at the Bronx zoo mm-hmm. in, in the same program. And, I just got randomly chosen by our program one day to help make grizzly bear ice pops. Mm -hmm. So we put some food coloring in with a lot of water and just a ton of fruit because bears love fruit. Like a
2: traffic cone. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was huge. Mm -hmm. And then we went out into the exhibit in the morning before the bears were like let out of their sleeping quarters for the night Mm -hmm. and opened it. Everyone at this point, the zookeepers, myself, we had all obviously left. And I go back and I meet up with, Giselle and all of our campers yeah. and all of them were like, Oh my God, Matt, that's so cool. I can't believe you so we were just that in is. there. Yeah. Meanwhile, like I, I was just the lucky one, but yeah. Yes. So that's, that's I, my, my that's the extent of my yeah. bear management yeah. program. It was wild. It was
2: wild. Yeah. Wow. I was what, like, man, that what like, that must, such must be such view. a surreal it view. It was a really cool No, it was a really cool time. Yes. Tell us about
0: your, we've heard my bears.
2: Now we go to the black bears. Yeah. So the, the place I was at is definitely a mouthful of a, of a, it was, it was um, a government agency, right? The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. We just called it, um, FWC for short. And, um, yeah, this was like kind of talking or think circling back to what I was mentioning before with making the most out of my time in college and and getting all these really exciting opportunities. Like, um, granted, I will say a lot of these opportunities, which, uh, is unfortunate. These are unpaid, um, internships, which is definitely an issue to, to bring up, I mean, as an aside, but, um, with valuing work in these organizations. But yeah, um, the Black Bear Management Program, it was a government agency. I did the the internship program as um, a sophomore. And it was um, it was a really great kind of first step into like actual application of what I had learned in classes and like making a difference. So what this program did was, in this is based in Tallahassee, right? So Tallahassee, there's so let me step back. <laughs> it's like, so little do people know black bears are found in the contiguous 48 states, right? So Florida is is part of that. And a lot of people don't think that there are black bears in Florida, but actually there's um, a subspecies. Well, if we like really believe that there is such a thing as subspecies, that's another whole other aside,
0: but whole different kind of worms. That's,
2: yeah, exactly. Um, but there is a a subspecies of black bear called the Florida black bear, and um, they're smaller. They don't hibernate as long. It's really fascinating, and um, with Florida being one of the fastest developing states in the U.S., um, you know, um, urbanization took its course. A lot of neighborhoods were being built in forests that these black bears would inhabit, and um, and yeah, they um, there have now ever since then, right? There have been so many incidences where. Bears are getting in people's garbages and um, eating dog food or pet food outside. So what this program did was find all these different ways of helping bears and humans cohabitate in Florida, essentially. So whether that's educating people about um, how to lock up your garbage or to feed your pets inside, um, to not what to do when you see a bear in your backyard, um, all of these things to kind of help ease that tension that some people might have with black bears, even though it wasn't necessarily needed to be there. Um, But um, yeah, it it was a great experience. I was there for a year. I got, I was able to extend my semester with them. And while I was there, I was doing a lot of um, office work, um, like looking at trends in um, complaints that people had to the program about like what was happening exactly with the bear incidences. But then it was great. I got to do some awesome outreach with like people all over Tallahassee. And the best part, I will say that might compare to your bear story is we got the call one day that there were two orphaned black bear babies. Yeah. Unfortunately, the mom was hit by by a car, which is oh, another geez. thing. Yeah. It's another thing that is big with Florida black bears is cars and Car strikes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's another thing we educate people about is, you know, slow down when you see them, obviously. So there were two orphaned black bears and then they got transferred to a, uh, a refuge and it takes a certain amount of time for them to be cleared and released back into the wild. Um, but in a place that was different from where they were captured so that they don't cross path, paths with humans again. Right. So okay. I was there when we were transferring the the baby black bears to another part of Florida, um, a much larger forest in Florida.
0: This and, is for the release or to bring to the This is refuge? for the release. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, is for the
2: release. So we um we were there. I got great pictures. I'll send them to you. And um of these two like very sweet little orphan black bears and um it was it was really amazing. Like if if I could like do all of that work that I did with them, which was already amazing, just for that moment, I would do it in a heartbeat again. Like um, but yeah, we released them and part of the, I always forget the name of the process, but we want them to be afraid of humans, right? So that they don't become accustomed to like um, connecting the idea that with humans, there's food, right?
0: Yeah. It's the same reason they tell people in parks, don't feed the animal or even in your backyard, you're not supposed to feed raccoons. So you you don't, you want to keep our space and their space separate.
2: Right. Keep yeah. wild, wild. And so what we did was when we opened like the crate that not the crate, like the carrier that yeah. had them, we were like shouting, like banging pots and pans and um to scare them off. But like to anyone else looking at that, they're like, What are they doing? But yeah for us it's like all part of the process. And it was very, very cool. Like
0: Yeah, I bet that's one of those one of those moments where you almost take a step back. You're like yeah, I'm doing the right thing with my career. Mm-hmm. This is awesome. That's yeah. probably such an impactful, amazing feeling. And
2: yep. yeah, yeah,
0: that's, that's a really cool story too.
2: It was awesome. Yeah. It was a very much like, that was my first taste of it. And I was just like, I like this. Let's, let's keep this yeah, let's, moving. Let's keep, this, like,
0: keep this rolling.
2: Yep. It was great. It was a lot of fun.
0: So we've talked about how, how both of us have worked at the Bronx Zoo. Mm-hmm. You also worked at the Miami Zoo.
2: Yeah. What yep. can you Good.
0: tell our listeners about working at a zoo and you know, what are some things that the average person who goes to a zoo or just knows or thinks they know about zoos? Yeah. What's something they might not know?
2: Yeah. So zoos are a really great place to, of course, like learn, see, experience wildlife in a, in an area that you otherwise wouldn't. Right. It's like, it's a very, it's if you break it down, it's pretty amazing. Um, and it can be a tough subject, right. In terms of like people's perceptions about zoos and like, what are they doing to animals and how they're treated? And of course there are really great zoos like Bronx zoo, San Diego. And then there are some not so great zoos where there still needs to be work done with, with all those things that I mentioned. Um,
1: that's but, not
0: even including the roadside zoos where we. Oh can, my gosh! Yeah. If you're listening to this, don't go to roadside zoos. That's kind of the whole yeah. short of it. Um, there's definitely zoos that need some work, and then there's a ton of zoos that do amazing work, like Giselle said. But yeah. if you ever see a, like a tiger on the side of the road for yeah. a drive-through, not really it's not the place where sort of you want to be your money to because we they want, want to take, take care, care, care of their, their animals. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, we want to support those zoos that are doing the work in terms of educating, treating their animals well, and even doing the science to try and figure out how can we protect these animals even better in the wild, like breeding programs, right? Like the, that's what we definitely are, are all about. And like that Tiger King stuff is absolutely like, yeah, definitely no the complete opposite side of the spectrum. So it's, um, but yeah, I mean, going back to it, being a part of a zoo is great because you're like, or working at a zoo is great because you're a part of that experience, right? Where like people are so amazed by these animals and it's like, let's take that opportunity of them being like, wow, there's a tiger right here. It's like, let me help open your eyes even more and like and try and guide you to understand why they're so cool, why they're so important. What can we do to help? I could be a tiger. It could be something as small as like a butterfly, you know? So, um, but yeah, working at, so in Miami zoo at the Miami Metro zoo, that's, I always call it that because that was like what I knew it to be growing up, even though now it's Miami zoo, but I was a volunteer in the, um, mammal conservation department. So I was like behind the scenes, I was helping feed them make enrichment toys for them to keep them like stimulated on their exhibits. And, um, that was very like tough work. Um, and in the summer in Miami, um, and it was a lot of tough work, but incredibly fulfilling, like another unpaid opportunity, but totally worth it. And, um, that was, that was probably actually my first like foray into conservation, but, Um, but that was, that was kind of my, so the more, um, one-on-one time with the animals was at Miami Metro zoo. So yeah, that was, that was one part of it.
0: That's awesome. Um, just to, just to kind of keep everyone in in the know here, uh, you Mm -hmm. mentioned the term enrichment, Yeah. which you mentioned, you know, keep the animals stimulated. What exactly do you mean by enrichment? Like what are some examples for people who aren't as familiar with the phrase as you and I are
2: totally, totally. So enrichment is, yeah, just to, it's, you know, forms of different ways of keeping animals um, excited on exhibit, simulated on exhibit that um, like tap into more natural behaviors of the animals. So um, a great example was the one you just mentioned with the grizzly bears, actually with yeah. the ice pops. Yeah. So, um, you know, Having, setting these massive ice pops in the grizzly bear exhibit, like, can help them with their sense of smell, um, like, tracking and breaking down that toy to get to food that's deep inside. And it makes them excited to be on exhibit as well. Like, just, you know, kind of like, if I were to compare it to us, I feel like it's like getting a new, I don't know, like, piece of tech in your room or something like that. I don't know, something to, like, spice things up. But, a, new,
0: a new vinyl record for me where it's,
1: yeah.
0: it's the same thing every once in a while where you put it on and spin it for you're like wow my brain has never produced this much serotonin <laughs> before <laughs> it's
2: like wow that's how that feels like I forgot yeah. like we're for like a new candle like I'm like it's very similar to that but yeah it makes you excited to like and and right like taps into those natural behaviors so that was a lot of what we did I, of what I did in, at Miami Metro Zoo, but we also were able to do that, which was really great at the Bronx Zoo in different ways too. Um, but yeah, I would say for the Miami Metro Zoo, it was very, very tough, tough work job members have get a um, very tough job and, and they have to there's work in range. So you know, much that's happening pain. behind the scenes. That's Everything. like basically what I'd say about both experiences is there's so much that the public doesn't know, which is great that we're talking about it to like, open, open some eyes here, um, about what goes on behind in, in zoos and kind of on the flip side with the Bronx zoo, we were more focused on the educational aspect of it. And, um, a lot of teachable moments there. Yeah. It was, um, a lot more public engagement, you know? Yep. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. And, like- and, and what a great experience it was for, yeah. I, I, I would say for both of us that, 100%. You know, to 100% really dive in and and you've kind of we'll get into this more later but you've kind of taken that education and and really advanced it to where you are now Mm -hmm. and you know for me I think this what I'm doing here is almost just an advancement of the the stakeholder engagement of people coming up and asking questions at the zoo and on the fly you have to give them the right answers and Yeah. yeah it's kind of just the same same approaches just different different scenario here
2: yeah yeah and like making like figuring out, depending on who you're talking, your audience, right? Like who, what are you going to say or what's going to really get, you know, keep them hooked. Right. So, and I mean, obviously the Bronx Zoo experience was great because we got to like meet each other. And like some of my closest friends are, that I still like talk to on a daily basis today were from that experience. So like co-workers and uh, it's, such a wonderful experience, but from the educational standpoint, it was, it was great because yeah, again, like you were saying, like taking that knowledge and and applying from my time at Miami zoo, my time at college and, and applying it to like, um, see to not only um, like help animals in kind of way um, offhand by 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 that. I mean like, like by that, I mean like talking to the public, helping them, you know, learn about, what makes these animals so special. And like, who knows that one interaction you have with someone, I always think about this is like that one interaction you have with someone could really spark something that's long-term, um, positive change. So I think about like, if you guys were to think of something that stood out to you when you were younger, that like got you to where you are today, like, I'm sure you could think about it on the spot and I can do that for myself. And thinking that we could have done that for some kid while we were or person while we were there at the zoo is like very And very rewarding. It's so um, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Working with teens, right, was second year and at the Second zoo year when you and I at were at the like when you and I were like day in and day out in the trenches, like early mornings cleaning up at the camel barn and like yeah. it
0: It was shoveling poop.
2: Yeah, it was tough work and um, yeah, shoveling poop and um, it was tough work, but it was super rewarding. And that's kind of what bridges both of those experiences is it's um, tough, but rewarding for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So as we talked about in the intro, you left the Bronx Zoo to go get your master's at Fordham University. Mm hmm. What were you researching there? What are some takeaways, takeaways from what, masters, what you learned getting your master's in ecology and evolutionary biology?
2: Yeah. That's so, a mouthful. Yeah. Another <laughs> mouthful. That's a common theme here
0: too. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't really talk. Mine's energy and environmental policy. So it's kind of. It's a lot of ease. Yeah. A yeah. lot of cluster here. So. Yeah.
2: It, yeah. So after my two years in the education department, um, since graduating from Florida state, my, my undergrad, yeah, I, I, um, I I decided I really wanted to dive into some more research, which um, was always very fascinating to me. So during my undergrad, I actually did this great opportunity. It's called Research Experience for Undergraduates, REU, that are um, summer-long programs that are funded by um, the National Science Foundation, NSF. And um, while I was there, I, I was lucky enough to be chosen for one of those opportunities at Fordham university, which is where I got my master's. And during that summer is where I worked with my advisor who, um, I did my master's degree with and I was working on, um, uh, coyote population genetics in New York city, um, using poop, another recurring theme using their poop to, um, be able to extract DNA from these non-invasive sampling methods. So we didn't have to take blood. We didn't have to sedate them. We could just find poop and, and do our our research with that. And um, it was a lot of fun. I got to meet my lab mates through that way and really like get my community at Fordham set early on. I was very lucky. And um, from there, yeah, I was hooked on population genetics. That was like the research I was focusing on and not just any population genetics, but, urban evolution, urban ecology, which is a very new field of, um, of ecology and environmental research. It's because urbanization is happening so rapidly all over the world. There's a need for more research when it comes to um, better understanding what impact cities have on wildlife and vice versa. Like how are animals changing because of living in cities? And my lab mate, uh, is working on pigeon genetics. Um, we have sal- urban salamanders. It's our lab is the best. <laughs> it's pretty, it's a pretty great place. And so what I was doing as a master's student was, um, not New York city based, like my undergrad research was, but we had some awesome collaborators out in Australia who did some sampling in Borneo on two species of rodents. Um, a native species and an an invasive species. So one that isn't, that was introduced to that area, to the brown rat in case anyone's wondering, but, um, yeah, I was doing population genetic work. So by that, I mean, um, looking at the, um, you know, the data within our DNA to see at the population level. So a bunch of individuals in a group in the same place, um, looking at the DNA of that population and seeing if indeed urbanization is impacting these groupings. So we did our, collaborators did sampling of these two species in a rural location. So more in a forested area, in a suburban developing area with a lot of like palm oil plantations and in a highly urban area. And um, we got some, I got some really great data out of it and, we did some it was a it was a very um nuanced project because there were a lot of variables we were looking at but um, we found that the well, maybe I'll keep that I'll keep that secret so you guys can read the paper or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, come
0: come back for the next time that we yeah, have yeah, Giselle I'll, on. We're yeah. just gonna hook hook you guys that way next time we have an interview. Yeah. You're gonna have to come back for Giselle Herrera part two to <laughs> find out what she found out in her research.
2: And as you can tell, I'm like happy to talk about it like for a while, but it was fascinating work. It couldn't have been done without our collaborators, which was great. And yeah, just shedding some more light on the importance of urban evolution and uh, thinking about even nature in cities that a lot of people don't immediately see, like um, pigeons, raccoons, rats. So very, very cool. Um, and with that experience, it was, um, it was fascinating because like with all these opportunities I was I was very grateful and blessed to be a part of, it's like a different piece of the pie where it's like earlier on I was doing outreach, then I was doing um, more like zoo focused stuff then I had my little foray in research, which I hope to continue later on in life. And what I'm doing now is like almost back to education. So, um, filling out, I'm I'm taking each piece of the pie and like each of those pieces of the pie and like making a career out of it. So,
0: it's also a really great natural segue you just had by <laughs> referencing what you're doing now. Yeah. Because my next question was going to be, what exactly do you do now with RISE? So yes. you're already a pro at being oh, on a podcast.
2: My <laughs> it's, I was born to do this. No, like, the, um, yes. So what I'm doing now, and like you mentioned, I'm the program manager and what that means is, or more specifically, I'm the program manager of youth development. So I'm working with... High school students, the youth, the youth, if you will, (laughs) Um, the Gen Z youth, (laughs) and they, um, yeah, I'm working with them closely um, after school, virtually, granted, and um, in these awesome programs that are designed to have students get involved in um, environmental and sustainable work as, as the youth, right? And community activism as well. Um, it's it's a very unique role. And because of that, I really enjoy it because it is, you know, um, tapping into everything I, I enjoyed in previous um, roles when it comes to engaging with the public and with high schoolers, teens, right? With our teen camp. Um, and, and having all these wonderful hands-on teachable moments. So um, granted in the pandemic, it's more virtual, but we've been, as a program manager at RISE, um, we do a lot of social distance um, plantings of like native plants to attract pollinators out in Rockaway, um, learning more about this really unique part of New York City, both socially and ecologically that like so many I didn't know of enough. I didn't know enough about it. And now I just can't stop learning more. So. Um,
0: That's the goal though, right? Never stop learning. Little.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so many sh-
0: people probably just graduate from, middle school high school college and they're like all right i'm done learning now i'm gonna go work but you know right. you're at, you're actually getting to continue that learning and keep growing every day and i think that's Older. something we should yeah. All, all, all yeah yeah it's at. so yeah I myself mean, yeah. included
2: that's the the most exciting part is we're we're always evolving and and learning new things and it's like it makes it spices up life it's the enrichment of life like <laughs> it tying another back yeah, back not so successfully back. but yeah um <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's really great. And, um, I've only, I only just started in September and like being a part of the team has been wonderful, but the thing I'm really excited about with rise is, um, over the summer, we have this, um, high school research opportunity, summer research opportunity where our students get stipends and are able to participate in, um, actual environmental and ecological research in Jamaica Bay with, um, so cool. Yeah. With mentors and, and researchers that are local to the area, there have been like studies on like whale and dolphin dorsal fin morphology, like the shape of them and what that means, looking at microplastics in Jamaica Bay and seeing how those are filtered in the, in the ecosystem. Um, Looking at bat vocalizations in in different parts of New York City, so like, and these are high schoolers doing it. Like, this is work that I was doing as an undergrad, not even like as a graduate student. So, this is like a really great opportunity that I'm very happy to be a part of and like help them out in any way because that's what got me so excited about the field. So um, that's great too because I I
0: think one thing that I I struggled with um, when I was trying to get into conservation at the start is. I didn't know where to begin. I thought, you know, as a kid and as a young adult into high school, that all you could do if you wanted to work with animals was be a zookeeper or a veterinarian. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a zookeeper. I didn't want to be a veterinarian because I knew the day would come where I would have to put down someone's dog. I Mm -hmm. didn't think I was mentally strong enough to do that. I still do not think I'm mentally strong enough to do that. Um, So I thought that my, my opportunity to work with wildlife, was was done and then i got into college and i started to research more and study more and i was lucky enough to have this internship at the bronx zoo where i learned more about potential opportunities in that one summer which turned into a second summer internship for me Mm -hmm. um than, than i did all throughout growing up and i think to inspire that younger generation and say hey you can do all of these cool things you know the work that you're doing right now giselle you are making sure that that next generation of conservation has a jumping off point and knows exactly where to get their start. And I, I really can't emphasize enough how awesome and impactful that sounds.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, I, I have to, yeah, always like take a step back and and see it that way. And it's like very rewarding and like enjoyable. And, um, and yeah, this part, and being in Rockaway too, like to everyone who's listening, like, I encourage you to look it up because it is such a unique part of New York city that some New Yorkers who have lived here, like probably they've, they've heard of it if they've are like, were born and raised here, but like, still they, they, so few people know about this area. And it's like having kids live here and actual live in Rockaway and actually participate in not only community activism, but also, um and like, talking to people and making change on the ground, members, with, but with also like, like fellow neighbors and community members, but also like doing research where they live, like taking that ownership and responsibility and, and, of their and work and, in, that and, and, is, and is is in that community is being in that community is unique opportunity, a very unique opportunity and something that is is pretty special. It's very special, actually. So I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it.
0: So I'm sure many of our listeners right now are thinking, that's great what can I do to help, help you to rise, rise and how, how can I, I get involved involved if, if I want to do that?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So I, if you live in New York and are um, or, or in the city, I encourage you to, to go out there and explore the area. We have Jamaica Bay um, right behind us, like closer to the city and this like beautiful marshland, like all these amazing animals and plant life. Um, and then obviously closer to the beach, we have the beach and It's just a great place to learn about, um, again, both socially and ecologically. Um, there's a lot of history there and, um, uh, we can talk more about that another time. I feel like that's a whole other conversation, but, um, what you can do is I would say just, um, some of the biggest talking points we have with our students is, is the, impact of climate change because it is a peninsula in New York City and flooding is such a big issue in Rockaway, mainly due to like. Urban planning uh, issues and also flooding like Hurricane Sandy really hit Rockaway parts of Rockaway very hard. So that's I mean, just staying up to date with. Climate change. um, Action. Keep fighting the good fight like you said when yeah. it comes to climate change, because um, while you might not feel it where you're at, if you're not in a coastal city like Rockaways is and places like Miami, my hometown are feeling it very much so where in the next not to be a downer, but in the next fifty years, like who knows what these places might look like, so just trying your best, making all the big and little change you can when it comes to climate change. Um, And as as listeners, um, I'm sure you know some, but some smaller actions is, of course, like using public transit, um, maybe Meatless Monday, eating less meat in your diet, um, um, bringing reusable bags, very small action that has big impacts. um, But I'm sure as you listen more to Matt's podcasts, it's you'll, you'll be experts on how you can be like climate change activists. So
0: it's the goal. That's what I'm trying to, trying to do here. So Mm -hmm. I hope, I hope you're right. Yes. Um,
2: 100%.
0: All right. Giselle, before we let you go, thank you so much for your time today. I know (laughs) you're really busy and I sincerely appreciate you taking some time out of your day to come on. Um, so if, if people want to hear more from you or from rise, where can they follow you and hear more from you and your team?
2: Yeah. So I would say for, to learn more about RISE and, and our organization, um, definitely look us up on Instagram. It's at RISE Rockaway, all one word, R I S E R O C K A W A Y. I can spell, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, where you can really get a, a look into like all the great work we do, the variety of work we do with so many different people. Um, and for me, um, as for me, like I'm not, I was telling Matt before, I'm not super active on Twitter, even though I should be. Um, but LinkedIn is also great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, it's, uh, my first name and my last name G I S E L L E H E R R. Yeah. and definitely check out our website too: rise rock all one org. Um, it's, just yeah get a peek into to the work that we do it's it's pretty pretty great
0: awesome all right rapid fire to close it out we ask the same three questions to everyone we interview to close out our interviews Mm -hmm. so here they are number one what is your favorite animal oh
2: copy easy i knew that
0: yeah you knew that yeah (laughs) all right we were gonna do rapid fire we're gonna slow it down scrap that (laughs) Giselle used to freak out when we would see the Okapi at the Bronx Zoo because they're just very seclusive and tough to find. And there was one time where we came around the corner in the oh, Congo God. exhibit and it's just standing there. Ten feet past the, the fence. Just I, this beautiful, beautiful animal. If you've never you seen an Okapi, see. buy a ticket to the Bronx Zoo and go. Or you can yeah. look it up on Google, but but buy a go ticket. To, go yeah, to, go the Bronx to the zoo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so It's just staring at us. And all of the campers were like, (laughs) yeah, all all of the campers were like, okay, cool. And we're like, no, 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 you don't get it.
2: (laughs) I was mesmerized. And like, they're just so freaking cool. So not a lot of people know about them. I'm just going to go on my quick Okapi tangent, if you don't mind. Um, I got to work with them at Miami Metro Zoo, like one-on-one. It was one of the most special experiences. And I learned so much about them, like... So I was able to pet them, which was, they felt like velvet, like such. And when I was petting them, I took my hand away. I'm like, what? My hand was covered in this brown oil, right? Have I shown you? I wish I, should, I showed you this picture before, but covered in brown oil. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, did I rub it that hard where its skin is like, no. So she, my the zookeeper was telling me that one of these special adaptations that they have, Okapi, are closely related to giraffes, but they live in the Congo, as Matt said. Um, and that colored oil acts like a sunscreen um, to furrow copies in the forest, but also acts as a water repellent because they live in the forest. It's very um, rainy there. So it's kind of like a one-two a one, sunscreen and, and water repellent. I'll show you the picture, but it's they're awesome. just so cool. Yeah. Okay.
0: All right. Back to the rapid fire. Sorry for the the brief (laughs) interjection there. Number two, what is something that you do to try to be more sustainable in your own life?
2: Um, I definitely am trying to eat. I I've cut out meat, any red meat in uh, my diet. So I'm pescatarian. That's something I, I do. And, um, I'm pretty happy about, but, um, yeah, uh, on, on top of what I mentioned before, those like little actions you can do to be more sustainable and help with climate change, I would say, yeah, but eating less meat, eating only fish. Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely a good like, one. Uh, yeah, definitely one classic, I try to stick to as, as much as I can. Yeah. All right, and question three in the not-so-rapid rapid-fire round. <laughs> what is one environmental <laughs> topic you, you think everyone should be more uh, aware okay, of after hearing from you today?
2: Um, not only can you learn more about animals in zoos and have that really wonderful experience every time you go into a zoo, but you can have that same experience in a city, in your backyard, where you can take advantage of, of nature and, and learn more about it. Um, whether it's a pigeon on the street corner or um, the, the bobcat or deer in your backyard, depending on where you live, um, you can you can learn so much about your surroundings if you just are aware of it and take the time um, it's a really enriching kind of state of mind to be in.
0: Always stay learning. That's the yes. That's that's the motto. At the end of the day, that's
2: the motto. I like that. Always Giselle, stay there you go.
0: It was awesome having you on, and I I know personally I cannot wait to have you on next time. And I hope you're happy to come back anytime. Oh,
2: absolutely! I'm so psyched. I I'm telling you, we got to There's so much more we got to cover. I feel like when it comes to our Bronx Zoo days. That's, that's two summers worth of material, right?
0: And our Bronx Beer (laughs) Hall days. That's two summers worth of every Thursday.
2: Exactly. (laughs) Yep. Garlic knots galore. And yeah, no, I'm, I would be happy to be back and talk more about research, literally anything, because this is like I was mentioning before, great, a great like learning opportunity and, and and connecting with people about conservation and, and nature. It's, all good things. I'm, I'm happy about it. So happy. And happy awesome. to be talking with you too.
0: <laughs> awesome. Love to hear that. Thank you so much, Giselle. We will talk Thank to you, you soon. Thank you, Matt. Bye. Bye. All right, everyone. That is it for today's episode. Next week, we'll be joined by another recurring guest co-host, Dan Walsh. Until that episode drops, you can keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at planet today Pod, or email us at planettodaypod at gmail.com. If you have questions you want answered, send them. If you see a story you want us to cover, let us know. And if you have a guest you'd like for us to have on, we can try to make it happen, but uh, try is the key word there. (laughs) If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Even if you listen on Google, Spotify, the reviews on Apple really help the show grow more than the others. If you don't feel like the show is worth five stars, you can let us know that too. Just make sure you give us a five-star rating and leave your suggestion as the review. The Planet Today is written and hosted by me, Matt Norden. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Norden. We're produced by the incredibly talented
1: Nick Janusa, who also does the music for every show. Nick, where can our listeners hear more from you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at MooseyFTheKid, The Kid, and I am also on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com/slash Budlin Cape. That is B U D L Y N C A P E. And yeah, go check me out. Definitely check Nick out. Music's awesome. And our logo is made
0: by Kaylee Vitz. And special congratulations to my cousin Ryan and his soon-to-be wife, Caitlin, for their wedding tomorrow. Have a great weekend, and we will catch you right here next Friday. Peace!